All right, let's stand and sing. His mercy is more. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. His mercy is always more. What patient would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest of poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is of kindness he lavished on us his blood was a payment his life was a cost we stood neath the death we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the
Thank you for your participation. Beautiful singing, wonderful songs. Appreciate the, the Kriggers helping us and lead us in worship. We're going to have our ushers come right now, and we're going to continue our time of worship. Let me give you an update. Um, we, the project this week, as you remember, is for the Lakefront Project. Uh, I'm trying to clean things up down by the lake and make that more usable. Um, Pastor Phil shared that with you on Saturday night. And so, so far, um, we have brought in $779.00. And 77 cents. Yes, give yourself a hand and uh, continue to give faithfully towards that. And uh, we appreciate it. Let's pray together. Father, what a wonderful time we've already had 
singing these songs, just being reminded of who you are and what you have accomplished for us through the son, your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. Lord, we know we're not worthy to have our sins forgiven and have that assurance of heaven. But Father, in Christ, in Christ we have that all, and we praise you for that. Father, I pray for this camp. I pray that you would continue to uh, advance the gospel here. And uh, Father, even as we give now so that we might be able to update the facilities so that we might be better at uh, having the facilities necessary to successfully pro proclaim the gospel. Father, I pray that we would give out of loving and thankful hearts. We praise you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You done? Not yet. 
With the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You finished? Yes. Yes. Then we're ready for the disclaimer. Whoa. What disclaimer? You know, the disclaimer that reads, the following people are exempt from the previous passage. Those who are good, those who are sinless, and those who are all around good people. Good people? doesn't say that anywhere in here. Yeah, but you and I both know some people don't have any sin to confess because they never sinned. No, 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 no. If anything, it says the exact opposite. Here, read Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, exactly. For all have sinned. All of us, everyone. We all need to be saved. All of us. All of us. Everybody. Everybody. Billy Graham. Everybody. The Pope. Everybody. Miss Wiggins. Ev Miss Wiggins? Yeah, fifth grade Sunday school teacher from a few years back. Oh, how quickly we forget. Ho, ho, ho. I didn't forget. I wasn't the one that had the crush on her. Yeah, well, what sin could Miss Wiggins possibly have? Well, obviously you didn't learn very much from her class. And secondly, even Miss Wiggins needs to understand she's a sinner, needs to be saved. We see what's on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Okay, fine. Miss Wiggins is a sinner. But there's still a flaw in the way you were reading. What flaw? You see, in the way you were reading, it was implied that anybody can get saved. Yes, exactly. Anybody. 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 What, what part of anybody don't you understand? You see, you know some people, and I know some people, who just don't deserve to go to heaven. Exactly. That's the point. None of us deserve to go to heaven. That's why we all need to be saved. Yeah, what about that guy that rear-ended you a couple days ago and then blamed you as if it was your fault? Surely he does not deserve to go to heaven. Well, neither you nor I are the ones judging. God is. And he wrote in his word that he's opened the door for anyone to enter. Okay, fine. But it doesn't say anything in the Bible about recycling, keeping green the environment, or being kind to animals. Exactly. The Bible doesn't say anything about that when it comes to being saved. What about the Ten Commandments? you got to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. Nope. All it says here is confess and believe. What about a limited time offer? No, it's available to you for as long as you live. Boom, there's a disclaimer right there. Whoa, what? Yeah, it's right there, you just said it. The gift of salvation is a limited time offer because it's only available for as long as you're alive. All right, fine. Give the disclaimer. The disclaimer is that the gift of salvation provided by the Lord Jesus is only available to you for as long as you're able to continue breathing. Very good. Void where prohibited by law. I'm a lawyer, I can't help myself. This is the gospel. Verses 10, 9 through 10 say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Are you alert to the gospel being preached to you? And are you alert to the gospel you are preaching?
hymn written by Fanny Crosby. All fear of sorrow, loss or pain, eclipsed by treasure.
Okay, we're going to go ahead and dismiss uh, those uh, children tonight uh, so they can get to their class. So four through sixth grade, four through sixth grade, if you would go ahead and stand up, make your way to the back, four through sixth grade. And while they're going, let me remind you, tonight is donut night, four for a dollar, four for a dollar. All right, so donut night, remember that tonight. We will go ahead now and dismiss the first through third graders, first through third grade. Last but not least, four and five-year-olds, four and five-year-olds. All right, very good. Excited to hear from what Josh, uh, what the Lord has laid on Josh's heart, so we're going to turn it over to him, and uh, you listen close. Amen. Uh, well, good evening, everyone. Good to see all of you guys here. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open up to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to continue our sermon series for the week in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 30. And as you are turning there, um, man, the competition at family camp 2 is fierce. Can I get an amen, a witness? Holy cow. So today, uh, I, I did something monumental. I won my first ever round of carpet ball in a carpet ball tournament. Thank you very much. To which I followed up with a second round loss to that kid right over there. I don't know your name. And uh, they're, they're even jawing about the pastor before the game started. Like, oh man, though you, dude, you're playing carpet ball against the pastor, man. He probably already prayed for a win. Uh, apparently not. Apparently not. And uh, the competition... Also at, at Family Camp 2 is very fierce. Um, I'm up against the clock, and it's four-for-one donut night. Are you kidding me? That is so awesome. That's so amazing. So um, praise God for his word. Let's, let's read it together, and, and then let's dig into truth uh, tonight. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 30 is where we're going to be reading. Starting in verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. 
Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of deliverance for you. And this is from God. For it has been given to you for on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same struggle that you saw in me and now hear that I have. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. Amen. Let's, uh, let's open our time in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, you are so gracious and so good, and you are so willing to show up on our behalf tonight. Lord, your grace is amazing, found through Christ, and Lord, you have saved many in this room. You have transferred people from darkness to light, from death to life, and God, we are blown away by your grace. And Lord, you want to pour out more grace upon us tonight through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. And Lord, there's some here who don't know you yet. There's some that are still on the fence about the gospel and about Jesus that they're hearing about. And Lord, I pray that you would save them, that you would bring them, Holy Spirit, that you would regenerate their hearts even this, more, this evening, and God, would you would convert them to you. And God, we need you so much to understand truth. Holy Spirit, I have so much to learn from this passage even still. So God, may you just be very gracious. May you be powerful in this room tonight. May we sense your spirit as your word is opened in Jesus' name. Amen. The now late David Paulison, who is a famous Christian counselor, said this. He said, the rebuke of our modern world will be that we as a society do not deal with death in the ways that we should. David Paulison says that we as a society, especially in America in 2019, we try to pretend as if death doesn't exist or that it won't happen to us. I mean, how foolish is that, right? But that is our culture today, is it not? Our phones, our social media, every single outlet that we have for entertainment makes us believe that death isn't real and that it's not coming to us. It's a lie. Um, I've had to think about death a lot more this year than normal. Um, I have officiated seven funerals in the first five months of this calendar year. Seven funerals um, from January to May. We had two suicides a 17-year-old boy and a 19-year-old freshman at the University of Iowa, respectively. One tragic car accident in our neighborhood caused the death of a, a very young 34-year-old man. A cancer victim and the rest have been of natural causes. And it, it reminds you of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, um, which tells us that it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. Have you ever read that verse before? Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the 19-year-old girl. Um, we are very close friends with a Sudanese family that lives just two blocks away from our house. And this 19-year-old girl, she was a freshman at the University of Iowa. She committed suicide very unexpectedly. She was a 4.0 student in high school. I got the call from her mom saying, Pastor... We don't know where else to turn, but would you come and please do the funeral? And so the Sudanese community turned out like in, in massive force, and it was an amazing opportunity 
to share the gospel with an entire community that is uh, refugee-driven. And so we're very close with this family, and, and, and I showed up to the funeral, and, and the first thing I, I got to see and got to experience was that Sudanese uh, funerals are a lot different than American funerals, okay? So they have, the, they have the casket out front, and I was sitting in the front row, and Sudanese, the, the ladies that would come down the, the row during the, um, the viewing aspect of the funeral before the service started began to wail. And they began to wail in ways that, again, you don't see in a typical American funeral. It, it was like this. <laughs> Sounds kind of Hispanic, but it's also not. And they started coming down, and they would literally prostrate themselves down before the casket, and they would weep and wail, and they would pull down on the casket. It was super intense, and I'm like, this is going to be maybe the most different and awesome funeral I've ever been a part of. And the service started, and the mom came down, and she, she began to wail just openly. And, and we got through that aspect of it, and they, and they started the, the singing, and they sang tribal Sudanese praise and worship songs, which was really cool, by the way. Totally awesome to be a part of that. And, and then the, the funeral director came over to me and did one of the most crazy things I've ever been a part of. He came up to me and said, Pastor, Pastor. He said, do you think it would be good to close the casket now? I mean, this was right in the middle of, of testimonies and the obituary being read. And I said, no, no, that would be maybe the worst decision you could ever make right now. And he, I don't know what happened exactly, but he went back. Five minutes later, I see the ushers coming down looking very confused, and they're going to start closing the casket during the funeral. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, have mercy on this house right now. Because as they began to close the casket, um, the mom of this young girl lost it, completely lost it. And she, she heaved forward from the front row, grabbed the coffin, and started pulling the coffin down. It was unbelievable. And in the midst of that, she went limp. She totally fainted right in front of the, uh, there was about 400 people at this funeral. And at that time, all these women got up, all these ladies got up and started surrounding her and weren't giving her oxygen to breathe. So you can start to see like the, the thing, the, the situation, which is already heartbreaking, is becoming a little more complicated in the room. And as she, she began to just not have oxygen, she didn't revive. After about 10 minutes of not reviving, I heard something that I have never heard in my life, and that is a death wail. In the building, because everybody thought the mom had passed away in front of the entire gathering. And so I had a woman get in front of me, and I was in the front row there, and she got down on her face, on her knees, and she started wailing. And I can't even, I'm not even going to try to replicate what she sounded like, but it was the most intense sound I have ever heard in my life. And it took paramedics. 30 more minutes to get there. They pulled her out. It was very dramatic. They pulled her out of the, of the building. And all of a sudden, they, they went on with the obituary and then another uh, announcement or two. And then I was up to preach the gospel. What would you have done? I got up there and I'm like, Lord Jesus, just tell me what to say and I'm going to say it. And I got up in front of 400 people 
And the Holy Spirit completely took over. I was preaching with a translator who was translating in Arabic for me. And by God's grace, I preached the gospel with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And in the midst of it, though, I walked away from that funeral to the committal service. And I thought, there is such a tension between life and death. And we live as humans in between the two things. And by the way, the mom was okay, all right? The mom was fine. She was revived out in the ambulance. She came to the committal, praise God. We didn't have sorrow upon sorrow. But listen, there's this, there's this transition, there's this tension that we live with. We live as living beings, praise God, right? You guys are all living, amen? And we live between this reality of living and then dying. And we don't know our day of death, only God knows that. And as we approach Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, and there are no doubts that his life hung in the balance. Would he die at the hands of a Roman centurion or soldier and go get to be with his Lord and Savior, his resurrected King Jesus? Or would he live and continue his ministry? Paul said he was hard-pressed between the two. You can see that in verse 23. He said, I am pressured by both. I feel this pressure between two things. And I have the desire to part and be with Christ. That's very much better. He was thinking about two things that he was pressed in. And that word hard-pressed in verse 23 means to be sieged like a city surrounded by invading armies. That's a pretty cool picture of this word. Paul was saying, I am a city being surrounded by two invading armies. One is to be with Jesus, and the other one is to continue to do my ministry. Um, We are hard-pressed today as well. We all experience, on a daily and weekly basis, uh, ministry, the joy of ministry. We minister to other people. We have the gift of today. We don't know if we'll have the gift of tomorrow. And then we also have this death that looms over us as our final enemy Death is the ultimate enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55 tell us that the day of our death, there's a sting to death because it is the final reality of our lives and it looms over us, right? Some of you, you know, more so than others. Death looms over you and you have this ministry thing and you've got this death thing and they both come together. We're so temporary, oh my goodness. The Bible says that we live 80 years, 70 years, and maybe 80 if we're strong, according to Psalm 90. And then we fly away. So that's it. And when we're facing the giants of death and ministry, knowing the resurrected Jesus is what gives us the victory. Amen? If you know the risen Christ, you have the victory. And if you don't know the resurrected Lord, you're in a world of trouble. And so this evening, we're going to look at two obvious expectations in our lives and how the resurrected Jesus defeats both of them. So let's look at expectation number one. Expectation number one is death, and we see that in verses 21 through 23. Paul says, for me, living is Christ, dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which I should choose. I'm pressured between the both which I already referred to. I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul says in the word here that he he was ready for either path. He was ready to die, 
And he was ready for more ministry. And Paul said that he expected that his death would be the greatest gain of his life. Paul expected that his death would be gain because he was saved. Okay? You remember Acts chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul is persecuting the church? All right? They called him Saul back then. And he is literally on his horse ready to go arrest and kill more Christians. And Jesus knocks him off his high horse. Amen? We're all thankful for that. Because when Jesus knocked him off of his horse, he got saved and he ended up writing over a third of the New Testament. I'm thanking God that, that Paul got knocked off of his horse. And because he got saved, he, he changed and shifted his mindset. And he expected that death would actually be his greatest gain. All right, so the word die there means to perish. And the word gain means to have an advantage. So Paul says... Because of the real and joyful relationship he had with the risen Jesus, he viewed his departure in this world as a promotion. Some of you remember, like, even older funerals for older folks, they still use that terminology. I think our, in our generation we've lost it, and we've got to gain it back. Our, our, our generation doesn't say they were promoted to glory anymore. And maybe you've heard that some, from time to time, but I believe we need to adopt that mindset more and more. They've been promoted. Even though it's sad for us to see believers go, it's exciting because they are now in front of their ruler, King Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 27. So in Paul's mind, this is so crazy and so awesome, um, he was already being poured out like a drink offering to Jesus. Paul, in, in, as far as his mindset went, he was already sold out to this king. And he was, he was already pretty much a dead man walking. You can see that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul said, I die every day. Okay, in, in Paul's world, he was thinking that, look, I'm already a dead man walking. When I die, it's extremely better, far better for me, because I'm going to be with Christ at that moment. In his own words, he, he was just ready to see Jesus. Now, how many of you believers are having that same attitude? You're like, uh, sometimes, right? It's seasonal, it right, depends on, on how well I'm doing with Jesus or how, how much I've got going on or how many relational connections I'm going to miss, right? When we're really walking with the Lord, we're like, Jesus, take me now. All right? Yeah, let's go. All right, sometimes as parents, you're like, Jesus, take me now. Take me now. Oh, I just lost my place. And I think... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's just a variety of opinions out there of when we want Jesus to come and when we really want to see him face to face, but we're walking with the Lord for sure. Now look, we can't time that out, right? We can't time out when we're going to see the Lord. We just don't know. Some of us have been ready for a while. Some of us, um, even in this, in this house, if you're not saved, you're not ready yet to meet him. And some of you, by the skin of your teeth, you've gotten saved in recent days, and you're like, yes, okay, now I'm ready to meet Jesus. Um, just the other day, I got a call from a, from a friend of mine in Des Moines, and he said, Pastor, I need you to come and see my brother. 
come see my brother. His name is Butch. He, uh, we don't know how much time he has left on this earth, but he doesn't know Christ as a Savior. We need you to come. So I, I drove over to where he lives, and I met uh, Butch's brother, and, and he said, hey, come into the house. I walk into the house. There's family there. There's friends there. There's a 66-inch TV on the wall. I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's good. And there's all this other stuff in this house, like a lot of belongings, just a really crowded room. And Butch was sitting right next to the entry door, and I said, I said Butch, hey, I wanna, I'm here. I'm Pastor Josh. I'm here to talk to you. Um, it sounds like you don't have a lot of time left, and we need to talk about where you're going. So for the next 10 minutes, the, the whole family cleared out except for Butch's brother and then his daughter. And it was, just us, it was just us four talking about Jesus. And I was sharing the gospel with Butch. And I said, Butch, you don't have a lot of time to waste. Okay, this is not a time. You need to make sure your soul is ready to enter into what is to come. Because what is to come is the most important reality in, in all the world. I shared about Jesus, and I said, Butch, would you like to trust in Jesus? And he said, sure. And I said, okay, Butch, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to pray, and then your brother's going to pray. And when it's your turn to pray, I want you to ask Christ into your life. So I prayed, and then, and then Butch got up to pray, and he said, well, God, um, thanks for Pastor being here, and... Um, I'm just thankful, God, that you're so good, and you got me out of the hospital. Amen. And that was it. He, he, he didn't pray any kind of gospel truth at all. And then his brother starts praying the gospel over him like crazy. Just starts praying, Jesus, please help my brother. Have mercy on him. You know, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. He's just going for it. And we got done, and I, and I look at Butch, and I said, Butch, um, Listen, I'm thankful that you prayed. I said, you really don't have a lot of time left. We really need to take this seriously right now. And I said, Butch, I'm not going to leave anything to chance, and you shouldn't leave anything to chance either. I said, I want you to pray exactly what I pray. Repeat after me. I said, I don't do this very often as a pastor, but I feel an urgency to do this with you right now. So I prayed, and he, he prayed. I just prayed a sinner's prayer, very simple. And he repeated right along after me. And his brother prayed again. And, and his daughter, after we were done praying, gave me a huge hug. And she said, you have no idea what just happened there. And I said, I don't. And she's like, no, my dad has not prayed to God in 50 years. I've never seen him pray to God. And the fact that he prayed, and he actually repeated what you said. My, my dad never does that stuff. He's too stubborn. I said, well, hey, praise the Lord. I hope it was genuine. I hope it's from his heart. I left. Two days later, I got a call from his brother, and he said, hey, uh, Butch has passed. And I want you to, you know, do the funeral. And so uh, we, we set up all the funeral arrangements. I was there the next day, and I was officiating Butch's funeral and as I got there to the, the cemetery, um, I was asking a little bit about what happened and what went on. And he said, oh, I haven't told you yet. I haven't told, I can't, Pastor, I can't believe I haven't told you. And I said, what have you not told me? And he said, you know, when you led him, when you led Butch through that, that prayer to receive Christ as his Savior, he said, when you left the house, 
15 minutes later, we gave Butch his, his medication that he normally takes. He fell asleep. He never woke up. 15 minutes after I left the house. And I just want to tell you, I tell you that story because death is a reality. And, and if we die in Christ... We've been promoted to glory. Now, some of us, again, we've had more time to prepare than Butch, but I'm telling you, whether you're Butch or whether you're a 40-year believer, when we die, we go see Jesus. Amen? So Paul expected that his death would be gain. He lusted to be with Jesus. You can see it in verse 23. I am pressured by both. I have the desire. That's the word. I have the lusting desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul had this deep longing to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus more than he wanted his own life. You've got to remember, Paul had been caught up into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us that. So I think he got some kind of taste that he couldn't get out of his mind and heart. And he said, I want to go back there. I want to be with Jesus. Paul wanted to see the face of Jesus. Church, don't you want to see his face? Don't you long for that day? Where you get to look into the face of the Son of God, the one who died for you, the one who rose for you, the one who you put your faith and trust in. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says, We will see him face to face. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a victory over the expectation of death. And I want to say that this is not an easy and light victory, okay? I don't want you to just jump around and skip down to get your donuts tonight saying, Yeah! I can't wait to die, man! You're weird, okay? This is a hard, difficult victory to win. This is a persevering victory. This is a victory that we hope in. This is not a victory that just comes easy breezy. Death is scary. Amen? Death is scary. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. John Bunyan in his classic Pilgrim's Progress tells us of the river, right? The last great river that Christian and Hopeful have to go across in order to get into the celestial city. And if you remember, um, Hopeful has to help Christian out. Do you remember this? Christian begins to cross the river and it's scary and it's, it's unbelievable and it gets deep because the more you don't see the, the face of Jesus, the deeper it gets and the harder the river is. And Christian begins to get really freaked out and Hopeful has to come back for him and he has to remind him of the promises of the king of the city. And he has to tell him all the promises. And as the promises are recited to Christian, all right, the, the water level gets to where he can walk and he crosses that river. Some people die easy. Some people die hard. But we will all cross that river and it is not an easy thing. But our faith in the resurrected Jesus is the thing that carries us through the reality of death. It's the thing that gives us hope and, it, and, and the desire to meet Jesus face to face trumps the desire to be scared of death. 
The expectation of death can only be overcome by the greater expectation that the one will be filled with joy in seeing the resurrected king and entering into his joy. Enter into the joy of your masters, what Matthew 25, 23 says. So expectation number one is death. Expectation number two is ministry. Paul says in God's word that, that he was ready for the path of death and ministry. So Paul saw that the joy of Jesus would carry him through ministry. If that was, God, was what God wanted for him, you can see this in verse 24. But to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing, live your manner in a worthy of the, of, of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I'll hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So if you're not dead, you're in ministry, okay? If you're not dead, you're in ministry. And Paul says that ministry is a necessity in his life. He says, look, if I don't get to go be with Jesus, which is far better, he's like, I, I see that remaining in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he's saying that the word necessary there means indispensable, something you can't do without. So Paul saw gospel ministry to others as an indispensable reality and a joyful exercise and experience. As much as Paul wanted to go to heaven, as much as you want to go to heaven, all right, he knew that Jesus was building his church, Matthew 16, 18. As much as he wanted to be away from all the sin and the struggle, he saw that Christ was building his church and he had to be a part of it. He planted the church at Philippi in Acts 16, and he felt the weight of the concern of the ministry and the needs that those churches had. He said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, where he said, Upon me is laid the, the incessant burden of caring for the churches. But Paul was dedicated to the progress and joy of the church. You see that in verse 25. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Basically what that means is your joyful advancement. Paul believed that if he was going to remain on, he was there for the joyful advancement of the church. Man, if we could have more pastors talk about their churches in this way, I think God would really bless our churches. So many times we hear pastors and, and, and people talk about the church as if it's just one massive burden. All right, now, look, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Ministry is tough. But ministry is not just about the tough stuff. Ministry is about the progress and the joy of the people that are being shepherded by Jesus Christ. Paul defeated the giant of ministry by viewing it as a partnership with the people for their joy. So pastors, you should love your churches, man. Like your heart should bleed for your churches. If you're a genuine believer, you should bleed for your local fellowships. Now we have a lot of churches represented here tonight. And I would just say, whatever church you're a part of, you should bleed for the progress and joy of your brothers and sisters. That's what life is all about, amen? Amen. When our churches begin to care for one another in the way that we are here for each other's progress and each other's joy, that is what life is all about. You see it in the Thessalonican church as well, where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2.19, 
You know, like the joy that they have before the Father. It's like, what's our joy and our treasure and our passion? Is it not you? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Paul's heart for the Philippian church was that they would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with one heart, one mind, and one goal, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is an amazing picture of the church. You notice what Paul didn't say in this text about ministry? He didn't once say anything about the number of people coming to the church. Not one time did he say, hey, I'm really into this ministry thing. If our church is above 200 people, I think it's really good. And if it's not, then it's not worth it. Paul never said that one time. He is so concerned about the heart and the progress and the joy of brothers and sisters in Christ gathering together. That could be a small group of people meeting in underground church in China. Or that could be a smaller church here in the States. Or it could be a larger church in the States. Paul doesn't care about the numbers. He cares about the heart and the progress and the joy of the church. Notice he didn't say anything about worship style or ministry philosophies. He doesn't really care about that. What he cares about is that people are moving together, walking worthy of Jesus. Okay, now ministry, let's face it, ministry is awesome, but it can be super tough. Can I get an amen? I mean, there's times in which we've all wanted to just say, I'm done, I'm out. I'll, 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 go, I'll go find something else to do. All right, ministry is daunting, it's often thankless, it's brutal at times, humanly speaking. We can't do ministry, though, with a mindset that is a hindrance to our life. We can't do it. We have to say no to those realities that say, ministry is a drag, can I just go be with Jesus? We have to say, if Jesus hasn't come for me, he has given me a purpose, and that is for the progress and the joy of the church. And i got to say, ministry is pretty awesome that way. Ministry is pretty awesome. Just the other day, um, a young gal named Marissa, who we've been doing a Bible study with for about three months, four months. We've been working with her to understand Jesus and the gospel. We've been working with her to understand the, the, the love that Christ has for her. And it was just three weeks ago that she came into our Bible study and we were getting ready to go over our material. And I said, Mercy, I'm just going to ask you a question. I said, are you saved yet or what? And she said, Pastor, you won't believe it. She's like, I gave my heart to Christ four days ago. I'm telling you what. Yes! I was so happy I was ready to do a dance in the Bible study room. Because this is the progress and the joy of someone who, who didn't know Jesus at all, who now knows Christ, and that is something that the world could never pay me enough money to do. It could never give me enough to experience, and that is what Paul is talking about. Just the other day, um, we were opening up our grocery store, which is still a grocery store, and we were having a praise and prayer night because it's where our future church is going to be, and after we got done singing and praying and all that stuff, there was a young, young boy uh, named Joel. He came up to me after the gathering. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you about baptism. So we started talking about baptism. And I was going through like just what baptism is, how it works. And then we got to this place where I was just like, uh, Joel, you've got to have a crossover moment. You have to, in order to bat I'm not going to baptize you unless you know Jesus. 
And so I said, you need to tell me how you know Christ. And he was just blank. <laughs> like every time we got to that part of the conversation, he had nothing to say. And I said, Joel, I'm not going to baptize anybody who doesn't know Christ. Do you know Christ? He's like, Pastor, I don't think I do. And just, we, I walked him through the gospel and in a very beautiful way, with his mom right there as well, sharing Christ with him, he came to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was an amazing moment. First salvation in a grocery store. Hallelujah. Hopefully more to come. But Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, he said at the end of his life, he said, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. Unspeakable joy all day long, and every day was my happy experience. God, even my God, was a living reality, and all I had to do was joyful service. Paul, if he didn't get to be, go be with Christ, he had the joy and the, and the experience and the perfect uh, privilege of doing ministry. So as we close tonight, as Cody comes up to close us up in song, I just want to ask you a few questions about death and about ministry. How do you view your death tonight? I don't know if you notice that none of us are getting out of this thing alive. None of us. Ten out of ten people are going to die. We don't know what's going to happen. You may not be here next year. I may not be here next year. We have no idea when we're going to die. And I would just say, how do you view death? Because if you're a believer in Christ, you, you're going to say gain. The river might be hard to get across, but it's going to be gain for me. Praise the Lord. For some of you, you're looking at death and you might be scared to death by death because you don't know Jesus. You're not confident that you know the king of the country. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you, He's alive. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is intercessing for this group of people tonight. And he has paid the penalty for your sin. Fully. Almost unfairly, he has paid the penalty for your sin. And he has, he has risen from the dead. So that if you would place your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. And you don't have to be scared of death anymore. So, if you're here and you don't know Christ, that's your invitation. Believer, if you do know Jesus, look at death, even with all of its scary nature. And every, every look that you look at death, take ten looks at Jesus. And just say, he's going to carry me across that river and he's going to welcome me in, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything he is. And take joy in that. Tonight, I want to ask you, how do you view ministry tonight? How do you view ministry? Some of you are walking in here just broken over your ministries. You're absolutely worn out. Because you don't view it as progress and joy. You view it as drudgery and, and depression. I, I think that needs to go to the Lord tonight. If you're here and you're just looking at ministry and you're saying, I don't view it the way Paul did. I don't view it the way Scripture did. Tonight's your night to get it right. And if you do know Christ as Savior, ask God to just change your view of ministry. There's so much there that exceeds the trials that you're going through. It's the progress and the joy of the church. And if you're here, and I told my brother I would say this because we talked about it a few months ago, enjoy 
the ordinances. Man, if you know the Lord, ministry, communion, baptism, these essential things that that we get to practice, the reading and hearing of God's Word, enjoy those things. Enjoy those gifts of grace that allow you to remember the gospel. Take joy in it. I've been a Christian 20 years. I love communion still. I love singing truth still. I love watching people get baptized still because those are means of God's grace, not for salvation, but for growth and change. And maybe some of you have gotten just stuck in a ministry rut that has forgotten about those beautiful graces that God has given his church. So wherever you're at tonight, let's just make decisions for Jesus. Let's give our hearts to him. Let's all stand up and I'll close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your truth. Lord, death and ministry. Lord, they they confronted the Apostle Paul. They confront us tonight. God, may there not be one person here who dies and leaves leaves this earth without knowing you, Lord Jesus. Being confident in you, Lord, and finding hope in you, God. And Lord, I pray for every person here as well in the area of ministry. Lord, may we view ministry the way you do, as a joyful, exuberant experience of pouring your grace out for the progress and joy of fellow believers. And Lord, may you correct any wrong thinking habits that have gotten our minds about what it is. And so Lord, do your work by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Christ, exalted one in life.
so much you are dismissed